0: For the truth of your word. Father, we thank you. For all that you've done for us. And for the even greater things that are yet to come. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. I want to continue on the series that we've been teaching for the last several weeks. Healing belongs to us. We've used as our text scriptures Matthew chapter 8 verses 16 and 17 and Isaiah 53 verse 4. Matthew 8:16 when the evening was come they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And then they pulled out their smartphones and checked it on the reference. <laughs> you know, there's so many things that we take for granted. And I think there are so many things that because we take things for granted, we fail to recognize how the people in the time of the Bible really lived. At the time that Matthew writes these things, there's only one other book of the Bible, the New Testament book of the Bible, that was possibly known at that time, and that was the book of James. We have the word at our fingertips in such a a mighty way, in such a common way. But the people that the Bible was written to, they didn't have that. They didn't have an Old Testament parchment that they could go refer to. They had, if anything they had the prompting of the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide them. Isaiah 53, verse 4, is the verse that's been referenced here in Matthew 8, 17. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's not the way that we just read it in, in Matthew eight seventeen. These two words, griefs and sorrows, are translated in other places in the Old Testament, sickness and pains. We found in this study on healing belongs to us, we found the number of times that scripture refers to us and tells us about how God's attitude toward man certainly and without question includes healing for the physical body. We saw in the Passover, the institution of the Passover that when the blood was applied the blood of the sacrificial lamb was applied to the doorpost and lintel of the homes that they lived in That not only was the plague passed over for them and their household, but that through eating of the sacrificial lamb, the nation of Israel was healed. We see in Hezekiah's day, when he was the king of Israel. 70, 765 years after the institution of the Passover, the Lord healed the nation of Israel once again. Then, when Israel was delivered from the bondage of Egypt, and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, but Pharaoh's armies were destroyed when they chased in after them. A couple of days later, they come to a place where the waters are bitter that could be more than just a bitter taste. It could be poisonous. The language is not very clear so that we know either way. But God reveals himself to Israel. And the name Jehovah that God gives himself means the self-reliant one who reveals himself. And there are eight different redemptive names throughout the Bible where God identifies himself to the people. But the first one is in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. And God identifies himself as the God that heals thee. We see in the cleansing of the leper in the Old Testament, in Leviticus Chapters 13, 14, and 15 that whenever someone recovered from leprosy, they were required by the law of Moses to offer an atonement. It was a, a ritual occurrence that was required of every leper who was healed. Now the reason for this and the reason that we pointed out is because God dictated that the healing of the leper be attached and associated with, coupled with, the atonement. Now Paul tells us, writing to the Corinthians, he tells us that the things that happened in the Old Testament to Israel were given to us as types and shadows or examples of things that Jesus, the Messiah, would fulfill and did fulfill in his earthly ministry and then also in his crucifixion, death, and burial. But more important, the resurrection. We see Israel, after they forfeit, going in to possess the promised land. Israel's is wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. We see time after time where an atonement is made, and the word atonement, Old Testament word atonement, just means covering. The day of atonement was a day that the sins of Israel were covered over for a year, and then they had to do it all over again, but it was the blood of the sacrificial lamb that made an atonement or made a covering for their sins so that righteous judgment would not fall on the people of Israel, but it would be deterred or deferred until Jesus makes the once and for all sacrifice for mankind. So when Israel is wandering in the wilderness in Numbers chapter chapter 16, it tells us the story of Korah and the tribe of Israel and their associates who take upon themselves to try to usurp Moses' position in ministry. The Bible tells us that the earth opened up in the sight of all Israel. The earth opened up and swallowed those that had joined themselves to Korah and his band. The next day, the Bible tells us that people began to murmur against Moses for killing the sons of Korah. And as a result, a plague started and began to sweep through the tribes of Israel. Now this plague is not sickness. This plague is just as the death angel on the day of uh, the, on the Passover associated with the Passover. This is not the work of Satan to bring sickness and disease among people. This is God's work. And it's a work of righteous judgment. The fact is, folks, that all of us have done things that are worthy of death. We have thwarted and perverted righteousness in our own lives. And the penalty for that is death. So when this plague started, just as with the Passover, when this plague began, it wasn't death that took the lives of these people It was righteous judgment. Moses, seeing what was taking place, saw that the plague had begun. And so he instructed Aaron to take a censer and put incense in it. And he ran among the people of of Israel. And it said he stood between the living and the dead. and the plague was stayed. Through the atonement of the incense, in this particular case, it wasn't a sacrificial lamb with the shedding of blood. But the plague being stayed had to admit that not another person died once the atonement was made. Numbers chapter 21 showed us how when Israel began to murmur and speak against God and against Moses, that the fiery serpents that were in the wilderness and that the people of Israel were protected by except and unless they began to sin and began to speak against their leaders. Moses goes to the Lord to find out what to do and how to handle this situation as the fiery serpents are going through the camp and biting people. And from the venom that is associated with these fiery serpents, many of the people begin to die. God tells him to make a brass serpent on a pole. And as we said... Paul identifies that these things that happened in the Old Testament were examples, types and shadows and examples to us. Every one of these acts of atonement, Jesus fulfilled in some way in his earthly ministry or through his crucifixion. And so Moses was instructed to make the brass serpent on the pole. And everyone that looked upon it lived, meaning recovered from the snake bite. But those that rejected the atoning work or the atoning symbol of the brass serpent, they were the only ones left to die from the attack of these fiery serpents. Jesus. In John chapter 3, I think it's verse 14. When Jesus is speaking and gives us that beloved scripture in John 3.16, which almost everybody knows. A couple of verses before that, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. In other words, he's saying specifically that the brass serpent on the pole was a type or an example of the work of God that he would fulfill. Now we focus primarily up to this point on the things that happened in the Old Testament and the examples, as we said, that were given to us that Jesus would fulfill and anytime you do that, anytime you go to the Old Testament, the devil's there to whisper in your ear that that was just for the Jews. It would be great if we had some kind of all inclusive verse of scripture from the New Testament that would settle the issue for us. Turn with me to uh, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Most people, if you ask them nowadays, what are you redeemed from? They'll say, I'm redeemed from sin. Because the forgiveness of sin is as far as many people go in identifying what God has done for them. But notice it doesn't say you've been redeemed from sin. It says you've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, if you'll turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28, It tells us, in the first 14 verses of the chapter, it tells us the blessings that will be ours by acting on and walking according to his word. But in verse 15, the curses begin. A description of the curses. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all of his commandments, and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Folks, I want you to understand something. Healing does belong to us, but it's conditional. It was conditional for the children of Israel to walk according to the law of Moses, but it's continual, It's uh, conditional for us based on our obedience to the word. We'll skip around, because it, through, through the rest of this chapter, Deuteronomy 28, it covers the curses, and so for the sake of time, let's pick out certain ones. Verse 20, it says, the Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand for unto to do, until thou be destroyed, and thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, wherefore thou hast forsaken me the lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until he has consumed thee from off of the land whether thou go to possess it the lord will smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with extreme burning and the sword and the mil- and with pla- and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew and they shall pursue thee until thou perish verse 27 the lord will smite thee with the botch of egypt And with the emeralds and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst not be healed. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. And thou shalt grope at noonday as the blind gropeth in darkness. And thou shalt not prosper in thy ways. And thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore. And no man shall save thee. Verse 35. The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. Verse 45, moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. That's another reference to the conditional uh, nature of the blessings of God. Skip down with me now to verse, 20, verse 59. I lost it. Let me get it back. Well, I really lost it. Verse 59. Then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful, and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they also shall cleave unto thee. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. So, God's telling the children of Israel through Moses that every sickness and every disease is a part of the curse of the law. Every sickness and every disease, known or unknown to man, is a part of the curse of the law. So if we go back to Galatians chapter 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Then the curse of the law that we're redeemed from certainly is specifically identified to include sickness and disease. Galatians 3.14 says the reason that we're redeemed from the curse of the law is so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. That the blessing of Abraham wouldn't just belong to the Jews, but that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles. And that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Well, he's talking about the new birth. He's saying that Jesus, through the shedding of his own blood, the price that he paid by his own sacrifice, that those blessings, the blessings of Abraham, would surely come upon the Gentiles. In other words, freedom from poverty, which in Deuteronomy 28, there's a whole lot of verses there that talk about material well-being or material curses that would come upon us or come upon the Jews for failure to keep the law of Moses. Christ has redeemed us not only from sickness and disease, but He's redeemed us from poverty and lack. There's another passage of Scripture. That I want you to look at with me, and it's in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we'll start with verse, well, let's start with verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. A couple of things I want you to see. First and foremost, he's talking about salvation. Salvation. Verse 8, but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We all understand that. Christ died as our substitute. The death of Jesus on the cross was not just a physical death. It was a spiritual death. And it was through being made sin for us and on our behalf that the blessings of Abraham would be ours as well. Continuing to talk about salvation, verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we could also include that or change that to say being saved by his blood. Much more being saved by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, literally since, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That word reconciled means a mutual exchange. The great substitutionary work of Jesus was completed. God's plan of redemption was completed and fulfilled to bring us into a place where our sin was placed upon Jesus and his righteousness became ours. It's talking about a change of nature. It's not talking about a change of circumstance. It's not a matter of sickness and disease will never come against you or come upon you. It's that because we've been made righteous, sickness and disease, or poverty and lack for that matter, None of those things can take hold of us for anything more than a period of time because we have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Again, verse 10, for since when we were enemies, we were reconciled, mutually exchanged to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled or mutually exchanged with righteousness for sin, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. This is not the same word or the equivalent word that's, uh, that's translated atonement in the Old Testament. This is a form of the word reconcile. It, again, it means exchange is telling us that there was an exchange made, not a covering. Remember, the Old Testament word for atonement meant a, a covering, and we understood that that meant that sins were covered for a year at a time. But this word, atonement, means a mutual exchange. Now, in connection with this mutual exchange, and Paul talks, it, talks about it more with the Romans than any other church that he wrote to, At this point in time, Paul hadn't been to Rome. Paul hadn't visited the churches there. And he wouldn't do so until he was taken to Rome to be imprisoned. But the connection of salvation and the mutual exchange, mutual exchange, or in other words, the substitutionary work of Jesus. Notice verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all that have sinned. A Couple of things I want you to recognize about this folks is the Bible says that death, which is the consequence of Adam's sin. Remember God said to Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, the day that you eat of the forbidden fruit or the fruit of the forbidden tree, you shall surely die. He wasn't talking about uh, physical death. Because Adam didn't die for 930 years after. He's talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God and has the consequence, being separated from God has the consequence of the things that the curse of the law reveals or identifies. See, it's because man is spiritually dead that the covering or the atoning work of the sacrifice had to be made. And it says specifically that the the circumstances or the accompanying consequences of Adam's sin was sickness and disease and was poverty and lack. So where it says much more by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin, it's saying that sin opened the door to all of the curses of the law that are identified in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Well, if sin was the cause of sickness entering into the earth, then how is God going to deal with sin, uh, deal with sickness and disease, except by giving a, a solution, providing a solution to the sin that brought spiritual death into the world? In other words, Jesus becoming sin on the cross. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 verse 10 that God made him sickness or made him to be sick. Now, that doesn't mean he put cancer on him. It doesn't mean that Jesus got leukemia on the cross. It means that the dealing with the all-important issue of sin versus righteousness had to be dealt with for sickness and disease in the same way that it was dealt with or made available through the consequence or the the canceling out of sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. So the only answer for sickness and disease, the only answer for poverty and lack, is the answer for sin. If sin, was the open, if sin opened the door to sickness and disease for mankind, then the only way to deal with the solution for sickness and disease is to deal with the solution for sin. And the solution for sin was Jesus dying on the cross for you and as your substitute. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Now, what does that blessing of Abraham look like? How can we identify with the work of Jesus except by an example that the Bible shows us? Luke chapter 13, verse 10, and as he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years and was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. When Jesus saw her, he said, called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. Now notice the word loosed. This word that's translated loose is a root word for Redemption. Jesus says, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He's literally saying, thou art redeemed from thou infirmity, thine infirmity. Woman, thou art loosed or thou art redeemed from this infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, "There are six days in which men ought to work. in them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day." The Lord answered him and said, "Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed on this bond, loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. Jesus gives two reasons why she should be loose from her infirmity. And again, as we said, the word loose there is a root word for redeemed. He says there's two reasons why she ought to be set free. One is because she's the daughter of Abraham. Folks, that goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. The conditional nature of that the Bible speaks of, the keeping of the law of Moses, which brings the blessing of Abraham, specifically healing, to those that are the keepers of the law. Thou hypocrite. He knows, as well as they know, that you still have to take care of your animals on the Sabbath day. And he says, in comparison, "Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whose Satan is bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath?" How did Jesus know that this was oppression of the devil? How did Jesus know that it was the devil's work that kept her bound for eighteen years? Folks, this is one of the things, this principle, this realization. And not just realizing something, but holding fast to it is what makes the difference in people that put themselves in a position to receive the healing power of God and people that don't. Sickness is always of the devil. Acts 10.38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. When God made the earth, it goes into some detail of what he did in six days. We know, of course, the Sabbath day was the day that he rested. Where in those six days did God create sickness? Where in those six days, which day was it? that God made sickness it wasn't on day one it wasn't on day two or day three four five or six the Bible says at the end of the six days God made an end to everything that he created that means if sickness and disease is or was of God then he would have to have made it in one of those six days of creation But we see instead that God looked at everything he made in the six days and said that it was very good. God considers things to be good when they're of him and not of the devil. If God ever had the opportunity to use sickness and disease against mankind then it had to have been created by him God and the devil don't share equipment if God was ever going to put sickness on somebody he would have to get it from the devil and God and the devil are not working hand in hand Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And every sickness and every disease is a part of that curse. God doesn't want you or me or anybody to be sick. Some people will complain that we make too big an issue of sickness and disease or healing from sickness and disease. But folks, I've got to tell you, It may be the majority of the church world, modern day church world, that has ascribed belief to God certainly being powerful enough to heal the sick, but in questioning his willingness to heal the sick, one of the reasons that they give, and i I think this is as hypocritical as what Jesus talked about with these guys. But one of the reasons that are given in opposition to the idea that healing belongs to us is that God uses sickness and disease for some higher purpose to teach us something. I've never heard any of those people say what it taught them. Now there are things to learn from sickness and disease and the experience of sickness and disease. The most notable one in my opinion is that it's better to be well Nowhere in Jesus' earthly ministry did he have to stop and pray about whether or not God wanted somebody to be well. Now with as many people in the body of Christ today that say and claim that God has some higher purpose in teaching us something. I've never seen one of those people not trying to get healed in spite of their belief that God wants to teach them something, see if teaching is one of if uh, teaching and revelation through the experience of sickness and disease is God's way of operating, then we ought to be praying for a double dose of sickness and disease so that we can get completely into the will of God. But that's not the way that it works. I've had people through the years, we've been pastoring here for 36 years, and you learn a few things as you go when you do something that long. I've had people throughout the years come and ask for prayer. I'm not talking about people that are part of the church. I'm talking about people that come from the outside. I've had people come and tell me that they believe that God sometimes use sickness to teach people but then they wanted me to pray for them to be healed it's impossible to have faith to be healed if you think that god sometimes teaches people through sickness and disease because the devil's going to tell you first and foremost if god does use sickness and disease to teach people you're one of the ones that he wants to teach And there's something else about this that I think people fail to recognize. And that is, a lot of people, well, first and foremost, Psalm 105, Psalm 107, verse 20, says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. God made a way for man to be healed. He sent his word. In other words, It's through meditating in the Word and getting the Word down on the inside of you that identifies that that God is the healer. As He has revealed Himself, I am the Lord that healeth thee. It's getting the Word down on the inside of you through meditating in the Word and then exercising your authority by taking hold of that Word, taking hold of that blessing of healing for the physical body that becomes the way for healing to manifest in our flesh a lot of people try to substitute prayer as the answer for sickness and disease but god didn't send prayer and healed his people He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He sent his word and healed them. It's not prayer that causes people to be healed. I've seen people going down while they were praying. Haven't you? It's not prayer that does the work. Now, the Bible says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. But it's not just prayer, it's the prayer of faith. Now, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. In other words, God made his covenant blessings, this applies to prosperity and provision just as much as it does healing from sickness and disease. God made the way for us to walk in divine health, for us to receive our healing, receive healing for the physical body, God made a way for that to take place. And the way for that to take place is through his word. By putting forth the example of not only the study of his word, but all that is involved in putting the word first place in your life and standing on the word fighting the good fight of faith standing on the word but most people want a quick fix most people want you to pray a prayer prayer of faith, whatever you call it whatever you want to but you prayed the prayer for me to get well. For all the people that have come to me over the years and have said, Pastor Mike, we want you to pray for our healing. I have never agreed to that without asking them what they believe. And all those people that wanted me to pray for their healing would have been much better served if they came to me and said, Pastor Mike, teach me the word so I can be healed. Because as I said before, it's not prayer that puts you over. It's faith in God's word that puts you over. Jesus talking about faith in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. That's faith by speaking to your mountain or to your circumstance, to your sickness or disease or whatever, whatever else you're applying your faith toward. But then he goes on in verse 24 of Mark chapter 11, and said, "Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire? When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Verse 23 says that faith works just by speaking the word. Verse 24 says faith works by speaking your faith in prayer. In other words, faith doesn't need prayer to, to exist or faith doesn't need prayer to exercise authority. Now you can. Verse 24 says what faith or the prayer of faith looks like. Specifically, the prayer of faith that Jesus described looks like a prayer that believes that it receives before it sees the answer. This is what is so important to me about understanding the kingdom of God. mark chapter 4 which talks about the the parable that jesus taught his disciples the parable of the sower sowing the word when the 12 came to him and asked him to explain the meaning of the parable he said in verse 11 mark chapter 4 verse 11 Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the kingdom of God. But to them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now we know the parable of the sower sow in the word is about the difference in the types of ground. He, spe- he speaks of the wayside. He speaks of stony ground. He speaks of thorny ground and he speaks of good ground. Now, the mystery of the kingdom of God is revealed or identified. The kingdom of God, Jesus defines for us Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know I teach on this a lot. I know some people get tired of hearing it. But just on the other side of being tired of hearing about a subject is an understanding of it. We know as we spoke just a few moments ago about the, the creation, the six days of creation. Everything about the earth was made perfect. Everything about the earth was that God had created was created and finished and everything about that world up until the time that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden was under the domain of God man had been given authority in the earth Genesis 1:26 says let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have authority on the earth or authority over the works of our hands. So man had authority on the earth but until the point that he sinned everything about this earthly creation everything about the operation of the earth was literally the kingdom of God. It only stopped being the kingdom of God when Adam and Eve fell and disobeyed him. Now folks, what would be the difference in God concerning heaven or earth? By that, we know that heaven is without sin. It's without anything that can hurt or harm anybody. It is specifically the kingdom of God, because there's nothing outside of God's will or the way that kingdom, uh, the way that heaven is identified to us in Scripture. Why would God want something different for you in heaven than He wants for you here on the Earth? We see from the six days of creation that he made the earth in pretty much the same form as heaven. We don't have too many questions about what things are like in heaven. A lot of things we don't know, but we know that everything that's good is available in heaven. We know that there's no... Condition or instance in any way whatsoever that God would try to teach you something through an ungodly means. And sickness and disease are certainly ungodly means whereby spiritual death operates in this earth. The only question I've had asked me about heaven that I can recall over the last. 36 years is a question about will people who are husband and wife here on the earth, will they live together in heaven as husband and wife? There might be another one, another question that was asked, and that is will we see our pets in heaven? But folks, outside of that, what is there to question about heaven? Nobody questions God's nature or his will or his goodness or his mercy in anything related to heaven concerning what the Bible tells us. Everybody just accepts right off the bat that heaven is a perfect place well the earth was created as a perfect place too we know through the fall of Adam and Eve the sin of disobedience that they committed that that was the thing that changed everything here on the earth but it didn't change God God didn't stop being good because Adam and Eve fell. in fact we know that god had a redemption plan already in the works already set out the bible says that jesus was slain from the foundations of the earth or the foundations of the world that doesn't mean the foundations of this present time where sin is operating in the earth it means before god ever created the earth he had a plan of redemption for mankind The sin of Adam and Eve didn't catch him off guard. He knew what would happen before he created it. So this phrase, the kingdom of God, is something that we need to recognize and hold fast to. Everything good is of God. Everything that's bad, everything that's evil, everything that's sick, everything that's impoverished, Those are works of the devil in the earth. So again in Mark chapter 4 verse 11. And he said unto them. Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Folks there's a secret to the kingdom of God. There's a secret that mankind as a whole. Does not accept. Or does not know. Regarding God and his plan. Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Folks, we know that God, it's will of God for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But Jesus seems to have a very pragmatic way of looking at things Of looking at mankind it sounds like in this verse 12 that he doesn't want everybody saved or converted well we know from other scripture that God does want everybody to be saved and converted but Jesus was dealing with people that would utilize and try to hold on to try to claim for themselves The blessing of God. Without making a change in their own heart. Let me take another run at saying that a different way. Jesus seems to be concerned. concerned With people that will take spiritual principles. And try to live by those spiritual principles. That bring blessing. Rather than curses. But bring blessing into their lives. Without getting rid of or dealing with the sin in their own lives these things are done in parables that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven folks there's a conditional nature to receiving the things of God healing for the physical body being one of them There's still a conditional work that we need to take into account. Now, thank God we don't have the 630 laws or commandments in the law of Moses. We have only one law, and that's the law of love. So all we have to do is keep ourselves walking in the love of God toward everyone, whether they deserve it or not in order to put ourselves in a position to receive the blessings of the kingdom of God. I've seen people through the years that they came to us and was a part of our church for a while, but then they left, and then several years later they came back because somebody in their family was sick. And I've seen them apply themselves back to the word, to believe in God's word concerning healing and health, to maintain their confession of faith. And in some cases, some situations, they were able to overcome the sickness and disease that had attacked their bodies. and regain divine health for themselves. But I've seen others who because it was perhaps a more serious condition and they failed to receive their healing and that was the last time we saw them. My point is very simply this, As Proverbs chapter 4 says, My son, attend to my words. Attending to, your, to the Word of God is something that becomes a lifestyle choice. Putting the Word of God in first place is something that we need to commit ourselves to do, whether we're attacked with sickness and disease or not. It is the concern and desire for God's word that puts you over in life. Remember what God told Joshua, Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You put the word of God first place in your life, it's not even God that's prospering you. It's you that's making your way prosperous. But it all comes down to attention to the word. Back to Mark chapter 4. He tells them about the different types of ground. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about putting the word first place in your life. And he said unto them, take heed what you hear. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And to them that hear shall more be given. Verse 26. And so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now remember Jesus' definition of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we could say that the kingdom of God, the definition of the kingdom of God is the will of God concerning you. The will of God concerning you. So is the kingdom of God. So is the will of God concerning you, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and he should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. The will of God concerning you is very clearly defined as putting the word of God to work in your life and getting results, not instant results. But getting results by standing forth, standing in faith until the answer comes. One of the biggest problems that we have is the time involved in our faith working. Smith Wilkinsworth said if you wait till you need faith to get it, you're too late. acting on the word, attending to the word, inclining our ear to his saying, let him not depart from before our eyes, keeping our heart with all diligence. Those are things that we should settle and need to settle once and for all before we ever get in a life and death struggle with sickness and disease or anything else for that matter. If you go back to to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and the first 14 verses, which talk about the blessing of Abraham, there's no mention of healing in there. Now, we know healing does belong to us as a result of what God said in numerous places in the word. But the reason that it's not mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 28 in the first 14 verses of the chapter is because healing from sickness and disease is not something that we should be fighting with or struggling over in our lives. Healing is wonderful. The application of healing is so delightful because it renews us from a diseased condition. But there's something that's better than being healed from sickness and disease. And that's walking in divine health. See, rather than going from sickness to healing, sickness to healing, sickness to healing, we have a promise from God that we can walk in divine health and not have to go to receive or take part of, take hold of, healing from some sickness or disease or some disease. So is the will of God concerning you, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. Paul talked about, writing to the Hebrews, Paul talked about the need for patience. You have need of patience to receive the things of God. Now folks, I want want patience manifested in my life. I realize that patience is something that I need more and more of as we go. But I'm just like everybody else. I want patience and I want it now. But the will of God concerning you is identified by Jesus as being something that doesn't happen overnight. F.F. Bosworth, who authored the book, Christ the Healer said something to a group of ministers. Well, he wrote it in one of his books, not Christ the Healer. But he said this. He said, sometimes our instant healings are a curse to us. Because somebody that receives their healing instantaneously never really has to fight or stand up and fight the good fight of faith. And so they become more susceptible to sickness and disease than they used to be. And if sickness and disease does come back upon them, they don't know how to take hold of the word and stand on it to receive what God has for them. Now nowhere does the Bible give us a time limit. Nowhere does the Bible say if you'll speak the word and stand in faith for a month, you'll see your answer. And if God did have a time limit on these things, then I'm sure there's a lot of us that would look at it and say, well, if it's just a month, I can do that. But if it's a year, I don't know about that, but what if it's five years, what if it's 10 years, what if it's like the woman with the spirit of infirmity in Luke chapter 13, she was bound low these 18 years, how long are you willing to stand in faith? Folks, I've decided I'm willing to stand in faith forever. And I firmly believe that if you take that position, you won't have to. You take the position that you're willing to stand in faith for as long as it takes. Then that pretty much solves the the patience issue. And it puts you in a position to receive from God. So is the will of God concerning you. It's as if you've planted a man planted seed into the ground, and he rises, and sleeps, rises and sleeps, rises and sleeps. The seed is growing. Even if you don't know how. Even if you don't know how these things work. Even if you don't know how long it's going to take. Let's pray. Father in Jesus name we come to thank you for your word you sent your word and healed us and delivered us from your from our distresses Psalm 103 tells us that you redeem our life from destruction And you crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Isaiah 10, 27 says you lift the burden from our shoulders and take the yoke off our neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Jesus bore our sickness and carried our pains. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. James 5.15 tells us that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And you, Lord, will raise us up. Father, we have so many great blessings Great promises, great truths that reveal to us your character and your nature. And because you are good, you always favor healing and you're always against sickness. We thank you, Father, that the word brings healing to our bodies in every way to conquer every disease thank you Lord that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus Lord Jesus, you've done everything there is to do to pay the complete price to restore us into the kingdom of God, to restore us to divine health. We worship you, Father. We thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you that we are redeemed. Loose from the bonds of Satan in every way possible. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, please. Kurt, you want to come up, please? We have a gentleman in our church that has asked us to agree with him for healing for his body. and So we'd like to do that now. Stretch your hands out this way toward him, please. Father, we thank you Curtis healed from the top of his head to the soles of his feet we thank you father that our declaration of faith declaration of his healing affects a healing and a cure in him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet we anoint him with all in obedience to your word and we thank you father that the prayer of faith heals our brother And that you lord raise him up we curse this sickness and disease in jesus name once and for all and we claim his healing in jesus precious name amen amen say it with me the lord is good and his mercy endures forever amen Thank you for being with us, folks. We love you.